Amen. Well, good to see you again this morning. Uh, I'm really glad you're with us. If uh, you are a first-time guest or have just been coming, we are in a series this summer in the New Testament letter of Galatians. We've titled this series Centered Faith, that Paul the Apostle's writing to the churches in Galatia who've had this infiltration of Jewish teachers who Paul calls the Judaizers. And they're trying to teach this gospel that, that says it's Jesus plus. Jesus plus obedience to the law. Jesus plus adherence to Jewish culture. And, and Paul is writing to refute this and to proclaim that the gospel of Christianity is Jesus plus nothing. That it's a gospel of freedom. And this morning we'll see that it's a gospel of adoption. A gospel where it's we are adopted as children into God's family. And so I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand, as is our custom, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word to us this morning. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Now, let me pray. God, I ask that you would come and speak to us this morning, your spirit to our spirit, that we would be changed because we see Jesus and we not only see and learn a little bit more about you, but that we would experience and encounter your love, O Father, unto us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So most of my favorite TV shows are depictions of family, or at least of family dynamics. Uh, Parenthood is one of my favorite shows of all times. I love the, the depiction of the ups and downs of the Braverman family, right? F uh, and seeing the relationship between father and son, father and daughter, daughter-mother, husband-wife, parent-child, children and grandparents. It's a great show if you haven't seen it. Go start binge-watching. It's good. Uh, right recently, a, a more recent show, This Is Us, a, a family who has two twins and then adopts a third child. It's a great depiction of marriage, of the hurts and joys that come through family. It's, it shows uh, the, the wrestling with absent fathers and, and the healing that comes with present fathers. Recently, Rachel and I have started watching a new Netflix show called Anne with an E. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's based on the, the novel Anne of Green Gables. It's a depiction of an orphan girl, Anne, who gets adopted by the Cuthbert family of Green Gables. And it, the show is, it's, it's so good. It, it, it depicts her utter amazement of life, but her amazement at being adopted and belonging to the Cuthbert family. Now, all of us have moments of joy and moments of love as we look and have experienced within our families. We've all experienced moments of pain and moments of hurt as well. So when we see or we hear stories of families, and in particular this morning, I want to zone in on 
fathers loving their children. When we see fathers loving their children, whether it's in a TV show or in a movie, it, it gets us every time. I mean, to see Zeke Braverman love his children, or William apologize to Randall for leaving him at the fire station, but then loving him so well in his last days on earth. To see Matthew Cuthbert adopt Anne and provide for her and be tender toward her in a way she had only ever dreamed. Stories of love between a father and a child get us every time. They hit home. They hit home because of our own hurts and pains. They touch sensitive places in our own stories, perhaps because our fathers were too distracted to be with us. Perhaps you had a father who worked too much or who was an alcoholic or who was not affectionate, was disengaged or overly critical, perhaps abusive or maybe even completely absent. I recently heard from another pastor that one of 20 births in the 1970s was with no father. But today it's one of four. Staggering. To be raised by a loving father is becoming more and more rare. And even with the best of fathers, we realize that no matter how great they are, they will still pass away. They will still die. So there is an imperfection because of this lack of permanence with even the best of fathers. Now hear this. Even if you grew up with the best dad in the world, everybody in here has a dad wound in your heart. You know why? Because every one of us were created to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. But due to our own neglect, we have pushed our Heavenly Father away and we've said, no thank you. No thank you to His intimacy. No thank you to His care. No thank you to His affection for us. There is a present father wound that is inside each and every one of us. And much like our relationships with our earthly fathers, and the wounds that come from this relationship with an earthly father impacts our friendships. Relationship with our earthly father will impact our relationship with opposite sex. Impacts the way we view work. Impacts everything. Our relationship with our heavenly father and our wound of missing the intimate love with our heavenly father impacts everything it impacts your friendships your marriages your relationships with the opposite gender how you treat your children and your grandchildren and your co-workers i was emailing with someone in our church a few weeks ago about the realities and the prevalence of anxiety in our culture and we were talking about how do how do people deal today with the deep anxiety and the deep insecurities that impact all of us, that we all wrestle with. Some of us do it by working harder. Some of us do it by making more money and having a little bit more comfort in our lives. Some of us do it by numbing ourselves to, with alcohol and drugs or with sexual promiscuity, or we overly medicate ourselves. We distract ourselves with so many things so that we don't have to feel the pain that exists in each and every one of our hearts. This morning, I want to tell you that you will never that we will never experience healing until we are secure in a loving, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. You do realize that no other religion makes the claim that the Creator is intended to be the Father? Every other religion says that your Creator 
uh, you can know your creator. Maybe you can become his servant or his citizen or even his slave. But Christianity says God's purpose with you is to be your father. The defining reality in your spiritual existence is your adoption into God's family. And if you don't get this, you don't get Christianity. Listen to how J.I. Packer writes in his well-known book, Knowing God, one of the best books in the last century. Listen to this from Knowing God. He says, you sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. Listen to this. It says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and their prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. So this morning, I want to preach on the truth of our adoption into God's family an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. I'm going to ask three questions. The first question is, what has God provided to make us His child? What's God provided? We see this in verses 1 to 5. I just want to spend a short time here because I really want to spend more time in verse 6. But look at verses 1 to 5. Paul writes about two things that God provides to bring us into His family. The first, the law. He provides the law. Verses 1 to 3, Paul uses this analogy that can be a little bit confusing of an heir that as long as he's a child is no different than a slave, but he's under guardians and managers. In the same way, he writes, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul has been writing throughout this whole letter to drive home the purpose of the law. In large part, he's he's writing this because the Judaizers are using the law to call Gentiles to this Christ-plus theology or this Christ-plus living. Galatians 3.23 that Timothy preached on last week, Paul refers to the law as our prison warden, that we're held under its captive. Its purpose is to convict us of our sin, that we are guilty underneath the law. And then here in verses 1 to 3, Paul says that the law's purpose is to be a guardian over God's people until God's people became of age in which they could receive their full inheritance. Much like a child who's going to inherit everything, they must wait until they come of certain age. They must wait and get ready and mature. The time of being under the law, or you could call this the time of Moses, was a time of preparing God's people and leading God's people to their own knowledge of how much they need God and how much they need an intimate relationship with their Heavenly Father. Many in Galatia were misusing the law. They were, they were misusing the law, which was intended, again, to show sin and reveal the need of an intimate relationship with God. But the Judaizers were taking the law as a way to save and to redeem themselves. And the law became a, a matter of pride. Many of the Jews thought that they were better than other people. They were quite arrogant. Not much different than the church of Jesus can be today. You see, if we live under the bondage of the law, we are either proud and arrogant because of how well we think we live in accordance to it, 
or we're despondent and we're crushed because we feel like we can never measure up. The law is a good thing. God provided it. But God provided it to lead us to his other provision that we see in verses 4 to 5, Jesus Christ. Look at verses 4 to 5. They're beautiful. I mean, verses 4 to 5, if you want to you memorize any scripture, memorize Galatians 4, 4 to 5. They are Christ-exalting, Christ-descriptive. Listen again. Paul writes, when the fullness of time had come, the timing was perfect for Jesus' coming. No longer would it be the time of Moses, but now it's the time of Christ. The people of God were ready. God sent forth. Jesus existed before being born in Bethlehem. Jesus, the Son from all eternity, equal with the Father in glory and might, sent by the Father, born of a woman. What better way to say that Jesus was truly human than to say he was born of a woman, an ordinary birth. He was fully human, well acquainted with our own humanity. Born under the law. Jesus born a Jew. He had to obey the law, and he did so perfectly. Why did he do this? To redeem those under the law. Redemption infers a purchase. We were purchased. A price was paid to atone for our sins, and it was paid as Jesus hung on the cross, and he did so so that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we might be brought into his family. Beautiful verses. Now, before you think Paul is being sexist here, calling everybody a son, you have to understand the ancient world context. Women were despised. Females, daughters could not be a son, meaning they could not be an heir they could not inherit the family property, the family wealth. Females were never the most important. They were never the most cherished because they could never be a son. And Paul says in Galatians 3.28, Now in the time of Christ, there is neither male nor female in God's adopted family. All are children. All are heirs of God. Paul wasn't writing this, by the way, in like the 1960s and 1970s like the beginning of women, women's liberation. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. It was a powerful truth for men and unbelievably powerfully true for women. That all who trust in Christ receive all that comes with being in God's family. Christ came to redeem, purchase us through the cross, and Christ came not just to redeem, but to adopt us, to bring us in to his family. What provision? My old seminary professor, Steve Brown, would tell this story often of a little boy who grew up and crafted on his own a small little sailboat. And he would take his sailboat to the lake that was there in his town and sail his sailboat and be enamored by what he had made. And one day a big wind came and just took the sailboat away. The boat was gone and the little boy started crying and he went home teary-eyed. And the next day he's walking through the town and he sees his boat in the store window. He rushes in. He says, sir, that's my boat. And the owner says, well, for $30, it can be your boat. So the boy starts mowing grass and raking leaves, collecting as much money as he can, and he finally gets enough money to go to the store, and he plops $30 down on the counter, and he buys the boat. And he's walking down the street. He's holding his little boat. And he says, little boat, I made you. Little boat, I lost you. Little boat, I found you, and little boat, I bought you, and now you're all mine. That's the gospel. 
created by God, lost and separate because of our own neglect and rebellion, yet God provided Christ, who purchased us, secured us as his sons and daughters, as his children. Through the law and by Christ, we're not only forgiven of our sin, we're brought into the family of God, reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Well, verse 6 is where I want to spend some time, because this is where I, I think we lack a little bit. Christ Central Church lacks a little bit. We're not just provided for in becoming a child, but something is promised for us. So let me ask the second question. What has God promised in being his child? Not only in this gospel that we believe as Christians is there an, an objective status, right? We believe in faith and there's this objective status of being a child of God. There is an agent provided that promises to give us an experience of our adoption. The agent is the Holy Spirit. You see, the Son of God, Jesus, secures something out there for us who believe. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he secures for all of us who believe the full rights of children. The Holy Spirit goes to a whole different realm. It goes inside of us to give us an experience to help us feel like God's children. Through Christ, let me say it this way, through Christ, we gain the status of being children of God. Through the Spirit, we gain the experience of being children of God. You see how Paul describes the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of His Son. The Holy Spirit is sent to apply the work of Christ to our hearts and give us an experience of all that Christ has accomplished for us. Now I imagine some of you here today are driven by a spirit that drove much of John Wesley's life before the Holy Spirit entered his heart. You know who John Wesley is? The father of Methodism. And before having the Spirit apply the full work of Christ to his heart and him experience, which, by the way, I call conversion. That's true conversion. Wesley, before this moment, was a way better Christian than most professing Christians outwardly. He was way better outwardly than most who professed Christ. During his days in Oxford, England, Wesley established a group called the Holy Club. They were holy, man. They got together and they went to church and they studied their Bibles and they fasted and they prayed. This group went into prisons, into workplaces to do evangelism. They provided food and clothing. They provided education for the poor children in the city. Yet all the while, Wesley was saying he was, he would, was living by a spirit of orphanage. He was in bondage to his own religiosity. And it would be years later that Wesley finally came to understand the gospel. That the gospel is Christ alone for salvation. That it is Christ plus nothing. And in, in his writing, he said he would look back on, on his previous life as he was in the Holy Club, and he wrote, I had the faith of a servant. I did not have a faith of a son. And I know for a crowd this big this morning, some of you live like Wesley. Some of you are driven by this spirit. And I pray that you would see all that Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. He accomplished it to reconcile you to the Heavenly Father, to be in his family. And I pray that you'd have the faith of a son, the faith of a daughter. Now, some of us here this morning can have the legal status of adoption. 
but we sure act like orphans, don't we? I mean, I know I can. And I can, I can forget the Father's love all the time. You know how you can understand if you're forgetting the Father's love and you're not experiencing the Spirit's application of Christ's work? Pretty easy. We just, we just got to look. You could, you could do it in many ways, but all we have to do quickly is look at our deep insecurities and our, and our own anxieties. I mean, when, when we're constantly critical of other people, when we're bruised and defensive toward others, when we long for recognition or we hold grudges, we're acting like orphans, not children of God. Are you here this morning and you're living with someone with the status, but you lack the experience? And Anne with an E, there's this powerful scene with Anne who, when she officially becomes a Cuthbert, and, and she's signing the, the family book, her name's being changed to Cuthbert, and Anne's excitement and her desire to forever remember and commemorate that moment, it's gripping. It's a powerful scene with tears and, and this huge smile. She signs the book and she rejoices in her adoption. I wonder if the gospel causes you to tear up and to smile and to rejoice and to want to never forget all that Christ has done to make you his child. Or are you a little bit like the younger son in the prodigal story of Luke 15? Do you, know, do you know that story where the youngest son wants to inherit his father's stuff immediately? So he asks, and the father says, I'll give it to you. And the youngest son leaves his father's house, blows all his money on prostitutes and drinking, and while lying with the pigs, decides that you know, he's better off at home as a servant than he is in the mud with the pigs. And so he decides, I'm going to go back to my father's house, and he's thinking he's going to go back as a servant because right, he's blown it. But even the servants are better than he is in the pigs. He's heading home in Luke 15, and you should, you should go back and read it today. He's heading home thinking he's ruined his status. He's no longer a son. Right? He's going to be a servant. And he's wallowing in his shame, thinking he's got to repay his father. Right? He's, he's rehearsing his speech of how much he's going to repay, which, by the way, is not a picture of humility. He's not going home in humility, hitting, having hit the low and now humbly returning home to his father. He's walking on this road of unbelief. He's rehearsing his speech about why his father should hire him as a servant. His status had never changed. He had always remained a son. The father comes out and as he sees his son returning home, clothes him with a robe, gives him a ring, kills the fat nap, throws him a party. But it's not until the father finally kisses the son and embraces him and hugs him that the prodigal son's heart breaks and finally experiences the love of his father. The spirit is God's kiss. The spirit is God's embrace. The spirit is the divine whisper of I love you from our father that then reverberates throughout our whole heart. Last question that I want to ask was, how do we know we're experiencing being his child? How do we know it? If he wants us to experience, how do we know? I want to give you three marks of experiencing the Spirit's work in your life. The first, passion and feeling. 
Look again at the text. Crying, Abba, Father. Why crying? Paul's not talking about shedding tears. The translation is more crying out. Crying out, Abba, Father. There's deep passion. There's deep feeling. Now, I know most of the time as we live the Christian life, it's lived clinging to the objective truth of all that Christ has done in redeeming and adopting us through his work. But when the Spirit of God is at work applying this truth to our hearts, when we're experiencing it, our hearts leap inside and we say, yes, that's true. Amen. See, when the Spirit of God is at work, our hearts get it. That's one mark. Second mark is intimacy in prayer. The text doesn't just say that the Spirit's purpose is to get us to cry out period. The work of the Spirit is not to just to get us emotional and cause us to scream. It's to get us to pray. So when the Spirit is at work, our prayers flow from a place of authenticity and vulnerability, a place of depth. Sometimes it might even sound like poetry. Because the Spirit, when the Spirit's at work, there's a freedom, there's a sense of access into the Father's presence, there's a sense of depth that we have with God in prayer. The last mark is that there's a sense of assurance when we're experiencing the Spirit. When the Spirit's at work, we feel secure. We're confident in God's love to us. We cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Dad. Daddy. That's child talk. I mean, a child trusts their parents. A tri- Look after the service. The ch- children running around everywhere, they just come up to their parents and go, Arms up, pick them up, put them in your arms. Brian was out there loving on his daughter earlier today. He's ushering at the door. Children know they're loved. Children know they can trust their parents. When the Spirit is at work, we know the unconditional love of the Father and we can trust Him. And we know we're secure. that He will never let us go. One of my favorite things to do with my two sons is to come home and wrestle with them. I love wrestling with him. I love coming home. My, my youngest goes, tackle, tackle. That's like one of his words, tackle. My oldest loves when I body slam him or I, I, put, I put him in the hug machine. He can't get out of the hug machine, so I just wrap him up. And he, he loves it. I put him in the scissors. It's one of the best parts of my day. I love to wrestle with my boys. Do you believe God really loves you? Like really likes you, like wants to hold you and wrestle with you and laugh with you and never let you go. Brothers and sisters, we can cry out, Abba, Father. You know, Abba's the Aramaic word for father. Why in the world is Paul, when writing mostly to Greeks, does he use the Jewish word for father, Abba? Let me tell you. It's because this is the same word that Jesus, the Son of God, cried out to his heavenly Father. Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. So what Paul is driving home is that in the work of Christ, in the experience of the Holy Spirit, we are given the same intimacy with the heavenly Father that the Son had with his Father. And that the Father loves us like he loves his Son. We're secured church. We are adopted. And if we can truly believe this, 
If we can experience it, it'll change our whole life. Your relationships will be different. How you handle failure and criticism will be different. How you deal with receiving and extending forgiveness will be different. How you compare yourself with others will be different. Your whole life will be changed as we trust in the objective truth of Christ and all he's accomplished to make us his children. And as we experience the unconditional love, the divine kiss, the divine embrace, the divine whisper from our Heavenly Father of, I love you. I actually, I like you. Amen? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us to believe this. And would you heal the father wound that's in each and every one of us? Because you created us to be in intimacy, intimacy with you and we pushed you away. But in Christ, we can be healed. We're given access yet again to your unconditional always abounding love to us. Help us to believe that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.